good morning. This is your host, Hacker Mike, coming at you from the Pennsylvania side of the river today, no longer in New Jersey. So, uh, I, um, I walked down to Cadwalder Park, <clears throat> visited good old John Roebling, the builder of bridges, and then, um, took the uh, canal on the New Jersey side down to the state, to the, um, the bridge. Um, it's called uh, Calhoun. So we went across, uh, I went across there and um, and then right there is the uh, Delaware uh, Canal Park on the Pennsylvania side, which I had previously taken further up, but I decided to explore it. So now I'm walking towards Yardley, and then I'll walk from Yardley to Washington Crossing along this trail. And then I hope to walk back on the other side and back home. So it'll be a big loop, big, big loop today. So we have a lot of time to talk. <clears throat> so we're going to do multiple segments, I think. First, I have to say there's the most amazing houses here on the canal. Very, very beautiful, humongous mansions. Um, the water's not flowing at all. It's clogged up by uh, trees that fell. And um, it's got a totally different atmosphere than the New Jersey side, let me tell you. I'm taking pictures of these amazing houses, and I will share some of them on Twitter. Really amazing. <clears throat> so I was listening to Max Weber in the cage, and then the following episode, where he talks about Aristotle. And, um, what was it, the previous episode? But he talks about Aristotle versus Plato. And there's a German philosopher lady. Whew. Good morning. How you doing? Catch anything? Uh, pickerel. Good cool. Guy. So, uh, what I was saying. I'll, I'll have to look up the names. And I guess it really doesn't matter what the names are. So this philosopher, <clears throat> she uh, denounces, a German lady just before World War II denounces philosophy <clears throat> and starts working on political theory, which is the real, the real deal, she says. And... Um, Wow, they got some nice trails back here. So basically, she's saying that there's contemplative and active philosophers. And basically, Plato watched Socrates get sacrificed and became, he went on a great wandering. And his analogy of the cave, the world 
of the living are the shadows and the walls. And the sunlight is the truth that's found through introspection and they, he says he discovers the world of ideas now that's really kind of where I'm going at the whole time at least the word introspection and maybe maybe I've also encapsulated myself in my own little world um, my own little cave so the real question is can we gain any knowledge from introspection right can we learn anything from looking at the constructs of our mind the regurgitated pieces the trained neural networks like what are we going to learn from inspecting our own neural networks, right? Where's our points of reference? How do we even know how to interpret what we see? Okay. So we talked about this in a previous episode through mindfulness meditation by observing ourselves and things that occur in our mind and becoming aware of them. And we can observe our own motivations or our own passions and feelings. And trying to understand them, to stand back from them and see them clearly. And I guess the hardest part is to try and understand Good morning. Good morning guys. Good morning. Hardest part is to try and understand where these things come from. Where do our ideas come from? And um, to try and understand that source them and also to see how we differ you know, with other people <clears throat> so talking to other people is good from them so uh, the world according to Minecraft so in Minecraft survival depends on basic resources so, there's two things that you need in Minecraft. One is a supply of wood and food. Um, so, we have planted our wheat farm 
and our sheep. And we'll feed the sheep the wheat, and we can bake the wheat into bread, and you basically have an unlimited supply of food if you maintain a large wheat field. And then we uh, fence that all in with fencing. So that basically gives you your food. Now the um, tree situation is not completely solved yet. And um, I haven't quite figured out trees yet. They won't always grow. And getting saplings from the trees is quite the, uh, quite the process. So I don't have the perfect mechanism for getting them yet. I'm thinking somehow that I need to jump up into the tree and break it down from the top. And that might be um, the way to go. I need to look at the algorithms and say how, how closely can we space the trees and then create some kind of balcony system like some boxes that you can walk along the tops of the trees and hack them down. So I have to do some reading. And um, I also thought it would be great to have an ultimate list of Minecraft uh, mods <clears throat> and to harvest them. The lists of mods from these different web pages um, and to get the sources for them find out where they are, to download them, and basically uh, to reverse engineer some of the uh, Java files, like to understand how they fit together, the dependencies, and also the item dependencies, like what item is crafted from what other item, and I think that could be automated. And that would be a pretty cool mod to have like a graph, dependency graph. But also the performance of some of these things is just horrendous. Um, when they eat up all the memory, the computer slows down. So um, definitely need to do some profiling. <clears throat> so I'm starting to get some interest in um, looking at that. But uh, the point, what I was trying to make before I got distracted with all these details is that when you start fresh in Minecraft, you need to first collect wood with your hands then you use that wood to create a pickaxe that's made out of wood. First you create a crafting table, then you create a wooden pickaxe, then you dig down and you get cobblestone, and then you create a stone axe. I mean, ideally you could also create a stone, you could create a stone, um, create a stone axe to begin with so you can cut down trees faster and then create a stone pick but you first you need cobblestone to uh, <clears throat> to do that so then you get the cobblestone um, with your wooden pickaxe 
and then with three cobblestone you can create a stone pickaxe which will get the wood the, the cobblestone faster and then you get yourself a stone axe and then if you have enough iron that you can see if you luck out and find iron locally then you can grow yourself an iron set of tools So, so once you do that, then you want to create a furnace with a cobblestone and then take all that wood and start burning it into charcoal. And basically you want to create a whole ton of stone pickaxes and torches and shovels. Now shovels are very good for digging dirt and gravel. And there's, there's clumps of those inside of the mines. So you need stone pickaxes. As many as you can carry. Well, stone shovels, like three of them. Like one-third stone pickaxes. Two-third. No, one-third stone pickaxes. One-sixth stone shovels. You know, as much uh, 64, let's say, torches at least. And then also, if you go into the mines, you want to have 64 wood. You want to make sticks, like 100 stumps of sticks, um, because you can't get that down there. So you have to carry as much wood as you can down. So that's like basic teamwork. Like one person works the wood, and one person works the mine. Oh, look at that elderberry. We got the elderberries. Okay. We got one, two, three, four bushes, and a lot of the berries are gone. Bird picked them clean. So now I've got a new uh, source of elderberries. Yeah, and then um, so, and that's basically what you need to get started if you're going to go mining. And then you take all that wood with you, and ideally you need to have like ten pieces of bread or whatever. You could also just take the wheat with you, take the bread with you. And you got food. <clears throat> and uh, you could also cache some of this stuff along the way. We'll put it in chests when you get down there. <clears throat> but uh, that's the essentials. And then um, what I haven't figured out is a proper way to make a map. Or to mark. Morning, guys. Morning. 
I haven't figured out a proper way to make a map and uh, describe you know where I've been and I get totally lost in the mines <clears throat> but it's kind of fun yeah so the first thing I do is I start putting the torches along torching up the place and then blocking out any uh, water supplies and you can also travel up water so you can swim up the water to the top put a torch at the top and then it's kind of tricky to do mining at the top of a water because you're bouncing up and down and as soon as you lose stop hitting on a block you lose all progress on it but uh, it is possible if you're in the water to break out a section of the wall ideally if you have a stone or iron pickaxe it'll be faster and then you can stand up there and then clog the sources of the water So water is pretty simplistic in Minecraft. Yeah, so that's a philosophy of Minecraft. That, um, and so I'm trying to get at. What the hell is this guy talking about Minecraft for? And why the hell is he recording all these podcasts? And who's actually listening to them? Well, it's my form of therapy, kids. So, love it or leave it, you know? <clears throat> so, the philosophy is, you know, the realism is that you know, essentialism in Minecraft is you've got to deal with the blocks that you have. And, um, it's very hard to get started if you have nothing, especially if you're in the caves. So, Overland, the top world, that's the way the place to go, but that has the most monsters as well. So, getting wheat is key that I found. By smashing grass, you get seeds. Getting a hoe, you can prepare the ground, plant seeds, and get wheat. And with that, you can attract sheep. Morning. And that's key. Because uh, the sheep will give you wool with shears, or if you just kill them and meat and you need that to create a bed and then you can save your position <coughs> okay so but all i was trying to get at is that i thought it was something profound when i was playing this game um that you're constructing these things these pathways and um, everything is very limited 
Um, and it's a really interesting uh, game in resource management and uh, having some kind of strategy. And it's a very open world type thing where you set your own goals. There's different achievements that you want to reach. Reminded me of that show. Where he was saying that we have all this freedom. The Iron Cage, we have all this freedom. And we don't know what to do. So if you have some open world game. And you don't know what to do. So we can strain this whole game even more. And um, give people injuries or poisoning, and also weight restrictions. I mean, how can you carry like 64 cobblestones blocks? Like everything should have a weight. Even in all these different games, like there's no weight restrictions. It seems <clears throat> there's no concept of strength or size training. So, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, a game is just like an interactive thing, like a notebook visualization and interactive feedback loop um, and uh, <clears throat> the ability to explore and wander around kind of interesting So, you know, if we were to take some function or some graph and we were to lay it out, now this is where I was thinking about it a lot, picking up a penny, can you believe that, a penny that costs four cents to make, worth nothing. So, <sighs> if we're able to lay out some type of a graph into some 3D world, and then be able to walk around it in Minecraft. That would be pretty cool. And, uh, even some kind of uh, blender 
system is, is pretty good. Like the Blender uh, editor. So just like export some kind of model or generate some 3D model and be able to look at it from all different angles and tag it and edit it and all that. <clears throat> but the Blender is enormously complicated, so I guess what we really need Simplification is the interesting part in, in the Minecraft. And I think that's what appeals to it. It's like Blender is super complicated. It doesn't have the same appeal because it's so hard to learn. like the open world to extreme. <clears throat> you know, my son will uh, create all these houses in Minecraft <clears throat> because it has an intuitive model. Yeah, so what if we had the Minecraft interactive model for Blender um, to begin with? <coughs> like the Minecraft user interface. And um, I guess we want to be able to create more high resolution blocks as well. render blocks or things. It's like a framework. Like if you created something complicated, it might be like five blocks of the space it contains, and inside those five blocks are going to be ultimately complicated. <coughs> That'd be pretty cool. instead of the huge, huge expanses. trail because it's really um, <clears throat> when I walked back from Washington Crossing last time it was desolate and it was a really heavy trafficked road so now I know there's a better way looks like Pennsylvania has the nice side of the uh, of the bargain here don't see so much uh, open-air toilets as I do over in New Jersey. 
So what I did at one point is I thought, well, hey, what if I were to take some tree structure and store it in a geodatabase, assign a layout algorithm with coordinates, lay it out, and then store the whole thing in some graphical database where you could say, this is part of that, this is underneath that, this is left of that, a projection. <clears throat> I still think that's valid and useful. People love projections, and I really should get back into um, making things more tangible in that way. They were saying, morning, people were talking about uh, people being overly spatial, but uh, think spatial will uh, is one of the fundamental mental concepts mental faculties along with time and that I think is a um, primitive structure that's even before we get to human it's like our base operating system that, uh, you know, walking and uh, talk, well not talking, but walking and uh, interacting with the world, something simple, morning, so, morning, Looks like we're getting towards uh, Yardley. Now here's a train bridge. That could be the train bridge from near my house. The houses are no longer so such mansions. I wonder why I worry about taking long pauses or having even horrible content if no one's going to listen to this anyway. I mean, I do have some listeners. <clears throat> if I had a guest on my show, I mean, what is even a show? This is not a show of any kind. This is just a recording. A document. An artifact. Something handmade, man-made. Good morning. Here's a trail going to the right.
So, some artifact, some generation of symbols, some commentary on life, reflections over what I've seen, <clears throat> some mental process being captured. Yeah, definitely the train bridge. So that's basically parallel with my house. So I've done the loop. <clears throat> now, back to uh, where I'm from. If I were to go up and follow this bridge across, Looks like an old mill of some kind. Okay. We're going to put this thing on hold. Okay, part two. So I made it to Yardley, got some coffee. They have a cafe on the canal, what a concept, and um, it's uh, great. So <clears throat> we were thinking about um, you know, what the purpose of this recording could be, and I um, was thinking about that. So the mere serialization, the, bring, the stringing together of words, the creation of tokens, the semiosis, the um, creation of forms outside of the body and recording thereof, which is happening right now, this act of creation is not something that can be done easily by machine. It's being done by human. And um, what is the meaning of these utterances of these symbols? Well, they're talking about themselves. So self-referential morning okay so here's the canal there's the river <clears throat> here's the Mary Yardley footbridge they want help replacing it and now we get close closure notices that'll be closed intermittently so let's talk about this intermittent closings. So I walked to Washington Crossing 
And then they intermittently closed the path for me coming back. They didn't say, hey, we're closing it, you can't come back, watch out. They just closed it. And then when I tried to get back through, good morning, they said it wasn't their problem in uh, letting me back through. That kind of pissed me off. So, thinking, thinking about work, thinking about my conversation with Claudette and Alex, thinking about what I should be talking about here on the podcast. That's what's happening in my mind right now. So talking about what's happening in your mind, reflecting over your experiences and emitting them, kind of like a trace. But who's actually... Who's actually um, cognating? Like, where's the cognition? Like, where's the proof of intelligence? Where is the proof of mind or soul in all of this? You know? That's the question we have. Like, how do you... How do you um, give a message that's profound? And who's this message being delivered to? And are we just generating smart sounding sentences or do we actually have a mind behind it? And how can we reach some kind of awareness. So do we reflect over our own statements and ask ourselves such profound questions that we are forced to snap out of our dream state and wake up in the dream to become aware of the world around us and our position in history the flow of time that's happening right now, the process of the mind that's producing these sounds and listening to them at the same time and thinking about them. The loop, the mere passing of time, the waves of neurons being fired. How long can we keep it up? Morning, guys. Morning. When are we going to have to stop? And is it a meme that could infect the world? That's pretty deep. 
So yesterday I was thinking about the media that could affect the world, and I was thinking about voting. And I was thinking, if you vote, and your votes are being tallied by somebody, and like you're just one of millions of people, and they're asking you for a limited input, like choosing between two people, and it's such a big deal, and such a, um, morning, it's such a big deal, is that a grape? Could it be that we have actual grapes here? Yeah, it looks like, or plums. Could it be a plum tree. So let's go over this. So I've been thinking about uh, political stuff recently, and here's my thoughts. And first of all, I have to say that um, I myself have been a victim to oversimplification. Uh, or maybe even not a victim, but a uh, an aggressor in oversimplifying things. A, uh, at wrong, at fault. I have made mistakes. So that being said, Things are evolving. So our current political system has evolved from chaos. Whatever might have been there before to some kind of strongman system of kings. rule by uh, force and then eventually has evolved into some kind of taking away of that rule by force, liberalism you could say. And then when we get to libertarianism, basically they want to abolish morning. They want to abolish all types of um, state, but also have a non-aggression principle. And also have armed citizens and private police. But I think that in some ways that this idea is retrograde or regressive, going back to what was there before, because the system that we have has evolved. And who's to say 
that libertarianism is not just going to evolve again into a form of government that it's not going to actually um, just be one step in the process of what we're gravitating to. So I'm kind of getting up to this idea that everything is the way it is. Good morning. Everything is the way it is because that's the way we want it to be. And uh, our pol politics being fake is based around the philosophical idea that things could be simple. And we want people to give us a simplified answer to things, to complicated problems. <clears throat> and again, in our idea of liberalism, that we just defer the tyrannical nature of man until the moment of crisis where the liberal governor turns into this tyrant, tyrannical person and we say, oh, I can't believe that our governor is a tyrant. No? Well, that's what was predicted. That's what we signed up for. That's what we signed up for. The tyranny of the bureaucrat in the time of crisis. It was just deferred. So instead of having the tyran tyranny at all times, we have the bureaucrats seeking crisis now, and it's a global crisis. It's really a global crisis. Boy, this uh, Pennsylvania Canal is so much more dramatic than the New Jersey side. This must be some kind of lock. Let me get a picture of this. Yeah, it's a lock. This is amazing. So, this is amazing. Um, so, when choosing 
choosing our government leaders, we have this voting system, which is also oversimplified. And people complain about the two-party system, but um, I'll tell you what system is worse than the two-party system. It's the uh, coalition government system they have in, uh, in Europe, where they never can reach a consensus. And uh, you've got thousands of parties, and each party has got like two seats in parliament. And they form these coalitions again, these blocks, and they fall apart. The government falls apart, and it gets back together again. So, in the end, in order to make a decision, you're going to have to get people to pull together. Um, and two parties or three parties or whatever it is. Uh, these are just categories. I think we can just safely say um, it's the people that matter in the end. And the votes that matter, if it matters at all. And I'm starting to think that um, the real voting and the real things that matter here in this country are the uh, is money. That it's your ability to raise money or command resources or to produce something that gives you a say, and everything else is directed from that. And in the technological world, it's even more that the actual um, innovation, meaning the progression of memes or the destruction of humanity, is the capital. Good morning. Morning. Where well, there's more and more reduction in resources need or human cost of getting things done. But um, in in the one way, that's not a bad thing. If a computer can do it, how does a human have to do it? Yep. So, um, okay, so I've reached the bridge, the um, I-95 bridge over the canal. So there's still quite the way to uh, Washington crossing from here. I'm already at 20,000 steps, so this is going to be a massive, massive walk today, if I walk all the way out and back. So it looks like you're going to be stuck with me for some time. Good morning. Morning. 
stuck with me for some time. This looks like a spillway. So, to get back to the um, good morning. So to, um, to get back to this voting, so it's really a society that is organized on the um, extraction of resources from the world, and then delivering of those resources to people in some weird way, some manner, the consumer world that I really, I feels alien to me. Of course, I want to also be a consumer. I just go get my coffee and I want to pay a lot for it. And I also don't want the, you know, to take forever. I want it to be good. So I'm also a consumer. I like to have my little consumer pleasures, like being able to uh, pay with my phone. So I guess uh, that's not completely alien. Knowing people give me lip. Scotty loves you. I have to send this picture to Mr. Scotty. Yes, Scotty, there you go. So yeah, now I'm really going to un unmarked territory here. Now, um, on the canal, past the main bridge. Um, I've never been here before. I'm going to Washington Crossing. So now we have a whole new world opening up to us. Crazy stuff. This is a uh, another lock or dam. Let me record this.
Okay. So, there's some function that we're doing, which is, okay, so the lady, her name is Hannah. Um, let's see what her name is. Hannah Arendt, The Banality of Evil, episode 136 of the Philosophy of This Podcast, which is currently playing. So she's saying that we have three phases in life, which are um, uh, labor, meaning what we do, what we, what we must do for eating, drinking, sleeping, shitting. Um, and then work, meaning everything else that we do to produce cultural artifacts beyond the pure existence. So what we're doing for other people, I guess. And then the third mode is being political actors, which she's saying is being subverted. So, I just think, um, I used to get all, all upset about things, and wanted to change things, and uh, now I realize, or think, things are the way they are, because they want, people want them to be that way, and that we can only change things through little nudges and tweaks along the way, like tipping the scale, so to say. Um, now there's that house that Ariana likes, this modern house. I've never seen it from this side. Well, one of these amazing modern houses, and I have to take a picture of it. Yeah, there's some crazy modern houses here near Washington Crossing. Um, and on uh, the get back to our topic of modernism, just for the topic of, sense of changing subjects, <clears throat> driven by our inputs and the visual. The um, the skyline of Trent is horrible. Seen from the river, it's just these horrible, horrible, horrible looking old, uh, new modern buildings that look like pieces of brick just dropped in. It's really a very nasty looking skyline. And when you drive through it, you're so upset because there's nothing for you to grab onto. There's no face, so to say, for you to clutch to. You're just presented with these horrible modern buildings and you just want to forget it. There's no cohesion, there's no sense of a city. There's just this 
modern monster that um, offends you. So, uh, yeah, today I was uh, reminded of that again, and I took some pictures of it. Boy, this is going to be a huge, uh, long podcast, guys. I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to want to listen to it. <coughs> I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. I think there's some gems in there. Um, but I don't know anyone who's going to want to listen to this. So I'm going to take a break. And I will be back if I have anything important to say. Okay, people, I am back with a vengeance, and um, <clears throat> we're just going to have to say that I'm sorry, and I'm not sorry. So people say they're sorry about things, even if they're not. So I'm not really sorry, but I'm going to have to kill the idea of having <clears throat> any topic for this one, and I'm going to publish it and be bold. You know, I have so many episodes that I recorded that I didn't actually publish because I went into meandering thoughts, I wasn't concise, and all of that. But, uh, you know, we're going to either revisit these or I'm going to remember them. And um, having them on record is not going to hurt. I'm not saying anything bad might be boring, might be losing my train of thought, might be unorganized and chaotic, and that is life. So you're going to have to deal with that. And I can't be afraid of upsetting some listeners who don't want to listen anyway. Um, and I might not even want to listen to this in the end. Yeah, we got some caterpillars, tent caterpillars going on here. Those are pretty bad news. got these hump camelback uh, bridges that look pretty freaking cool over the canal. So <clears throat> now we're going to talk about my idea for making something with the introspector that I actually think would be valuable. And I hinted at it yesterday. I did go over some of the ideas yesterday. With the um, Ansible. And I've been leading up to this on my whole idea of describing meta models and knowledge acquisition and all that. Bootstrapping. So we're going to get into it now. So if we see a program, let's develop a, pro a theory of execution. So from an observer standpoint, a processor is randomly doing something. Now we don't know exactly what it's doing. Like we can sample it at given points. We can say, 
this processor, when we stopped it and sampled it, it was executing this instruction pointer. So we can capture the registers and we can start decoding what um, the registers say. So the instruction pointer is the address, but there's also the actual instruction. Um, and that actual instruction, I guess, is the bytes that are pointed to by the instruction pointer. <clears throat> and um, you've got all these registers. And basically, it's a set of registers. So a processor, when you stop it, it's a bunch of numbers. And these numbers have meaning. Um, and those numbers are registers, they're called. And they could either be references to memory, bits of hardware, other registers, instructions, which are also in memory, or data, you know, values or integers. They could be strings that are encoded or bytes. So we have all types of information that could be encoded in the processor. And you can just sample it. And it's pretty easy to interrupt a process. And the operating system will also interrupt uh, processes at different parts. So it doesn't, the operating system will interrupt processes and give them slices of time to execute. Now I've been thinking about asynchronous processing where you have multiple threads that are um, waiting for I.O. or waiting for events and they actually interrupt themselves instead of being like operating system do it. So that will give you a better uh, execution sharing. So. So it does look like there's some paths to get to this canal from the other road. It looks like it has some more exploring to do, guys. Lots of exploring. And boy, I'm feeling my legs right now. I hope this is going to be good for my weight loss and exercise. I got lots of fat to burn, let me tell you. But it's going down. Just just walking it off. And talking it off. So we got execution sampling. Um, and then you got operating system level information, like what process is running. And this is gonna get into operating system design and all that. So the good thing about interrupting a process and sampling it is that you know that it's going to be at an instruction pointer because if the program is valid it always goes from one instruction to the next and um, if you sample a process at random the actual instruction pointers that you, it breaks on um, so that's the other thing is that it's not the processor that breaks. I mean, sure, you could just do a whole processor break and then look at what instruction pointer it's at. 
and that'll tell you where it's spending time. And that process, that instruction pointer or that process that's running, see the thing is with the operating system is that things run in protected mode, so to say. We've got kernel space and address space so that there's no global address addressing in the processor. It's all process local with a shared kernel. That's how the chips and the operating system are designed. So that's just interrupting an observation. And then if you've got some kind of statistics, you'll see that certain register values will occur. So you need to be able to parse the blob of memory that is the register space and um, determine its values. And then um, that gets into the decoding. And then you want to do feature extraction on those and do sampling and statistics. And you'll find that certain instruction pointers, which correspond to Shared libraries, this is now, I'm just talking about Unix, uh, Linux here. Shared libraries, no motor vehicles, look at that. Allowed on that bridge. These are some cool bridges. Goat Farm Bridge. So, so that's just like you'll start seeing that this the memory of the instruction pointers is mapped out into regions and segments where you've got libraries, shared libraries that come from different projects and um, different sections of memory. Functions. Functions are parts of classes sometimes, or object-oriented, like they're clustered together. They've got like some data that's shared, and you'll start seeing different patterns of registers. Um, and how they're used. And that's also determined by the compiler. So there's also the source code. that created this code and then the abstract syntax trees and the meaning of the code itself. <clears throat> so when we talk about the meaning of the code, Good morning. Good morning. when we talk about the meaning of the code,
you know, we kind of get into like, what are the things that generated it? Is it a function? Is it a method? Is it an operation? Right? And then, uh, so like the source code or the abstract syntax trees that were involved. So we already have a tagging if we have the source code. And obviously we can do all types of training and statistics and say, you know, this particular bit of code is related to that. So we've got a whole world of training where we can train source code to machine code and back, machine code to registers and back. So that's kind of interesting. And um, so the state of the machine and why a particular piece is running is also dependent on its environment, the context of where it's running, the inputs that it's given, so file handles and all that. Now we get into CRIU, checkpoint restoring user space, like looking at a file system, looking at a process, what are all the files open? What are the network handles? Like who's it talking to? Where's it getting its data from? You know? And for all we know, all of that's being processed is like decoding some key. Right, or stuck in the part of an algorithm that we can never understand. Like, I think the simplest way to think about this is, you know, you're in the process of deciphering some super complicated cryptography algorithm. Right? And you don't know what the data is um, until it's been decoded, and you don't even know what to do with that data once you get it. I mean, that's the way the best attitude would be like to think that you're in some multi-stage encryption process. Right? And you're just in like a third of the 15 stages of decryption where you'll never actually get any type of clear answer as to what it is that you're talking about. Right? The only thing you can hope to do is say, well, I recognize this type of algorithm is running. Right? And it's getting the key from some secure source, getting the data from some secure source, but we don't know what it is. Like, we don't understand it. We can just give an idea of what the size is and so forth. So in the end, I think that's where um, my, I've always tried to say, well, okay, well, we know what the application is. In some cases we do, it's like we're running a compiler, we're compiling some source code. We're running an editor, we're editing some source code, like some easy things. <clears throat> but what if that source code is some cryptography algorithm? That kind of gives you a better idea of what what we're dealing with here, and how better to think about things.
and we should think about it as trying to piece together some puzzle where we only don't we don't know all the pieces and we're gonna have to do multiple passes and we're gonna have to piece all these different passes together in order, in order to get the big picture so we're not going to be able to figure it all out now so now this gets back to this book I have one of the first books I bought and I spent a lot of money on it back in the day it was Grady Booch object-oriented design and he talks about this blackboard machine learning system with a for cryptography where they were to put you have this blackboard and you put the things that you figured out on the board that's kind of what we're talking about here kids in the end we're gonna have to present this to some higher level function no matter what it's gonna be human we're gonna have to try and present the most important things on a single page to some human for evaluation. This bridge here and a lock system. This is pretty freaking amazing. I'm gonna take some more pictures. Wow. Okay, so we are back for the next installment in this crazy podcast. It's going to be epic. Epically long and boring. On my road to Washington Crossing and back. So, <clears throat> we talked about uh, the connection between source code, machine code, and there's multiple layers and multiple levels of processing. Um, <clears throat> train a system that would reconstruct the source code from the machine code. So basically reverse engineer the compiler or reverse the compiler which is basically modeling the different functions of the compiler and saying okay well this is the input, this is the output, these are the functions. <clears throat> and uh, But it's more than the compiler, it's also, you know, we can go into the whole library and how it all works. There's lots of different parts. We've got the machine description, 
library, which is a total mess in the GNU compiler. Now, I was wondering if we could connect the machine description library to the Verilog source code that was leaked. And could we train, create some kind of connection between the two? So that might be some crazy idea. As a validation. That would give you something to look for. Like look for discrepancies between the two. We talked about how to use uh, leaks for uh, open source. Well, that would be a good use for it. Some kind of val uh, validation or something. So I'm thinking uh, the first step would be to kind of look at the output function of the um, print statements or whatever printf, sprintfs, the formatting statements, formatting strings that are used to create the source code or the machine code, the assembly. I mean, this is where we get into, do we produce assembly? Do we produce machine code directly? So I think we start with assembly and uh, we look at what produces the assembly and what produces the, uh, assembly to machine code and back. I mean, those are some pretty basic operations. And I'm wondering how much of machine learning is needed for that and how much can be human guided. Okay, time for a break again. Round five, here we go. So, so now we have a, um, some kind of model to say causality, like this caused this code to be generated. And we have some kind of reversal system where we can say this code um, came from here. And uh, let's just say that there's some loss where we can't actually reverse the entire front to back, back to front chain of events, right? Like sure, a debugger will show you the source code, but will the debugger also show you what was meant? And will it tell you this variable 
like where it came from. Right, where did it flow from? Like we're going back to the whiteboard. Like you're debugging the Turing machine. You're trying to figure out the enigma. This is where it kind of gets interesting. Um, like, how do we even define what the meaning of the source code is? So, you know, they try and like give you some kind of spec specifications. Like, okay, we're implementing the cosine algorithm. So then the cosine, like, what is cosine? Well, the cosine is some type of function. What are the properties of that function? How do we validate it? So, and isn't it implemented on the chip or not? We've got a math coprocessor. So this kind of gets into this circular definition where we don't know where we're starting and ending. We just said we we're going to treat everything. Someone's working on a cryptography system. So you've got some algorithm that's been designed, like some kind of elliptical curve or something. And uh, that's the definition of the function that's being implemented. Like that's pretty straightforward. <coughs> Other cases, it's not. So we may or may not have a specification for what's being implemented. We may or may not understand it, like even looking at the source code. So then we're going to get back to some maybe some diagrams or some documentation. We could point to that. But what's the meaning of the documentation? What's the meaning of the diagram? Like where does this all end? Right? And that kind of gets into the meaning of life. Right? Like, what's the purpose of what we're doing? So, there's different ways we could do this. There's the supervised and unsupervised. There's the declarative and non-declarative. Like, people will go crazy in, like, saying, okay, now I'm going to work on this Jira ticket. Right? So I have this Jira ticket, and that tells me why I'm working on it. It gives me some kind of a specification. Okay. But that doesn't really, because the Jira ticket only gives you some information. It might just be a placeholder for a conversation you had. Like it just, you know, it doesn't tell you enough. People have tried to overspecify things, like Ada. 
Department of Defense type stuff. I guess it's possible. get into books and books and reams and reams and reams of paper. So I guess we're going to kind of get into this whole idea of ontology, like what is what, what is it, what is being, Dasein, to be, and uh, we kind of talked about that as a mental process, time being a flow, but it's not like time on the computer, it's time in your head, which is the firing of neurons and the processing in your body and the, the amount of input coming in or going out of the brain, the blood flow, <sighs> metabolic process, defining the time. So that's important to um, understand. So I think we're going to say that we don't know what the purpose of any given code is, or even any given message. Okay, we talked about self-reflection, and we're going to get into Gödel Escherbach, and resonances, and harmonies, And all types of things, multi-levels of patterns, but we're not we're not answering that question. Like, what is it? Right. And it could be random. Like, good morning. We might be just dealing with randomness. You know, I might be randomly taking this walk with no particular purpose. So, looks like they have archery deer hunting on the canal here. That's kind of neat. That's here in uh, Pennsylvania, between the two river, the river and the canal. There's this huge stretch of swamp. I was watching the 411, the hunted, last night. Oh my god. The uh, hunters who got lost and disappear. And all types of crazy uh, alien stuff. Pretty spooky. <clears throat> so So I said supervised or unsupervised. So we could basically start with like saying like this is the purpose for that and like do a top-down model we could do an emergent model but in the end we're going to just say that no matter what we train the computer to do right no matter what we train all this logic to do it's going to be interpreted by people so we can try and summarize it and make it as high level as possible, 
right? But it's going to be a person who's going to say, yes, this feels right, this doesn't feel right. They're going to make a intuitive decision, or are we going to have a computer that actually checks the results? So this gets into the whole supervised learning versus non-supervised, unsupervised learning situation. Um, and I'm thinking more on the unsupervised side, like you're going to give some source code, you're going to be unsupervised, you're going to try and collect what you can do, try and pull out what you think is relevant, present that to a human, give solicit some feedback and then repeat that process and refine it. Morning guys. I hear you. Washington Crossing Visitor Center. Wow, we made it. I can't believe it. I made it to Washington Crossing. I gotta refill my coffee. Okay, guys. Well, this has been my marathon talk, and I think we covered some important topics, even though in a long-winded way. We will continue, maybe, if I feel like it, and have a nice day.